going to preach tonight the autopsy of a dead church. The autopsy of a dead church. Would you pray with me right now? Father, we need your help tonight. Let your word and your power tonight move among this congregation. Let every heart and every life be moved. Let every person be touched. Let those who are dead awaken tonight. few months ago, I was privileged to sit through some extensive training for church consultants. It truly was an amazing privilege. I sat among some of the greatest leaders in the religious world, authors, public speakers, household names, leadership gurus, and so forth. In the training sessions that we set through for three days, they began to unveil certain things that were obvious in the modern church world. And I learned that many of the main, or one of the main problems facing many churches today is how to move forward when the church is going backwards. In other words, many churches are literally dying. The doctors and professors and teachers at the seminar declared the issues of the churches that were dying were very obvious. But the solutions were incredibly difficult because the members of the dying churches refused to change. The first question dying churches ask is how long can our church survive? This is what they ask the professionals. How long can our church survive? The mentality, the very mentality of only surviving is part of the terminal diagnosis of the church. For God never intended for His church to only survive. But He intended for His church to thrive. I took no pleasure in discovering that one of the old denominational churches in our town recently closed its doors. Unfortunately, 
Perhaps it was a long-term illness that finally withered the church to its eternal grave. In the study of dying churches, I think that they were able to piece together a fairly accurate autopsy that matches the profile of the ill and afflicted. Here are a few things that I learned that I want to share with you tonight in the autopsy of a dead church. Dying churches fail to reach average people in their community, they say. The community begins a socio-economical shift, but the church fails to reach new people. The congregation thus becomes an island of class-conscious members in a changing sea of lost souls. The second thing they said is that dying churches have no community-focused ministries. This part of the autopsy may seem to be stating the obvious, but I wanted to be certain that I was clear in what I was saying tonight. Dying churches focus so much on surviving that they make little or no attempt to reach the community. The third thing that they told us about dying churches is that dying churches become more focused on history and memorials than on vision and future. Now do not hear my statement as the criticism of history and memorials for I am becoming pretty historical myself. I thank God for our rich heritage. I thank God that we eat from vineyards that we did not plant. And we are building ministries on shoulders of men and women that sacrificed and gave. But we must be more focused on where we are going than where we have been. The point is that too much focus on memorials can easily become an obstruction to clear vision for our future. And the fourth thing that they shared with us in our seminar was that dying churches spend more on its members than on its mission. The focus of the church to reach a lost world must always be at the forefront of everything that we do. Whether it's a church service, an outing, an event, whatever it is that we're doing, it must always be focused on the mission of the church more than on the membership of the church. Money spent on evangelism is not wasted money. We must never reach a point that we take what we have left over to spend toward the mission of the church. But it ought to be the key thing in our budget that nothing can touch. We're going to do evangelism. What is a soul worth? Every event must be about lost souls. I performed a wedding right here yesterday. 
which included several unsaved members of our community in our area. I made it my number one priority to connect with every person that I could possibly connect with and open the church doors to them and let them know as pastor to this church and in this community that I was here to serve them if there's anything that I can possibly do. Shocking. One of the gentlemen that I spoke with opened his heart to me and began to call names of people in our very own church that they were familiar with. And he began to talk about what good and quality people that they were. Because your life is an example to our community. And it may be the only testimony of the church that they ever see before they enter the doors of the building. Our mission is the most important function of the church. When a church loses its passion to reach the lost, the congregation immediately begins to die. I stood here at the front of the building tonight as my father-in-law reached up and hit me on the arm and pointed across the front of this building and then across the other side and then looked at the next row and the next row and I was reminded about three years ago when the Lord gave me a vision of this congregation and lined in the front of this building right here, I saw eight rows of young people. And I prophesied a revival of young people. And I believe that this next year while we're in a building program, that we're going to see a revival in this church among our children and among our young people that is going to blow our minds. Somebody ought to give the Lord praise. Fifth thing, I feel the Holy Ghost so powerful tonight. The fifth thing that they shared is that members of dying churches develop an inward focus. They're more concerned about their personal likes and dislikes than they are the discipling of new membership. Dying church members are more interested in personal positions, opportunities, and opinions than they are the needs of others. Because of their lack of concern for others, their spirit often turns caustic and they poison every person they influence. I believe our text tonight said something like this. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Dying churches are filled with people who have focused all of their life, all of their energies inward. And anything that receives a flow in but does not have a flow out will always become poisonous. Whether it's a body of water or whether it's a child of God. There must be a flow out or we will become caustic. This is why we must be concerned, more concerned about the comfort of our guest and more focused on their needs than on ours. 
That's why in every service we have time to pray for every need in the house. If there's any a sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and they will anoint him with oil and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise them up. That's what the interruption in service was about here just a little a bit ago because Sister Richie had a need in her body and then others responded with needs in their bodies and in obedience to James chapter 5, we laid hands and anointed and began to pray for them. Whether you are a member or a guest does not matter. We have time to minister to your needs and we have time to counsel or pray with you until God answers your prayer. That is the whoa, that is the mission of the church. There is none of you in this room that enjoys good gospel music any more than I do. And tonight, as pastor of the church, my chest was swelling with pride as I looked up on this stage and listened to this incredible music team. But can I tell you, the work of ministry in these altars is more important than music and singing, that God could change a life, that God could minister help and hope and healing. That is the ministry of the church. We must never become so inwardly focused that ultimately we spiritually die filled with entertainment filled with beautiful music and we have enough great preachers that come through this place tonight and I feel inadequate because some of you came tonight perhaps thinking that brother Josh Herring was going to be here and what a preacher he is And I even feel a bit inadequate standing in this pulpit tonight because I know the dynamic ministry. Not that we're in competition. I have my strengths and he has his. But I can easily feel inadequate standing here tonight knowing the incredible and dynamic ministry that he has. But we have enough good preachers that come through this church that preach in this pulpit to minister to the needs of this congregation. But if everything that happens in this church is all about feed me instead of us feeding the hungry and reaching those that are lost. We are a church that will quickly change from being a a group of people that is on fire and growing and building a building until we will be in decline and closing the doors. Interesting. In the autopsy of a dead church, they said this, that dying churches rarely pray together. In its last eight years, I have seen this church increase in a way that has blown my mind in focused prayer. When we began the Awakening series, the Awakening prayer and fast focus at the beginning of the year, I watched this church begin to morph into something that is so apostolic and so book of Acts that it absolutely blows my mind. A few weeks ago, I was sitting in a service filled with several hundred people and I looked over at my wife as I sat in a building filled with hundreds of people in a large city. 
and I said I wouldn't trade what I have in the little town of Frankfort, Indiana with the group of people that we're building a church for the kingdom of God in our small town than I would this wonderful huge building and all of these people give me the power of the Holy Ghost working in a service. Give me a storefront with a group of people that wants apostolic revival over a great cathedral with people that are focused on themselves. In the last eight years, I've seen this church increase in prayer and fasting. I commend those of you that have been instrumental in seeing this happen. There are two great fronts of prayer that has moved this church. One, it's children's prayer. And I can't say enough of of how proud I am for our children's ministry team, our teachers that are teaching our children and our young people to pray. I never knew, I never, I prayed, but I never knew how to pray like some of our children and young people know how to pray. There is no telling where God is going to take them in the future through prayer. Nothing can replace prayer. And then there is a thrust of prayer that is growing out of the men and women of this church and particularly our young adults that is just absolutely makes me proud as a peacock standing on this platform as your pastor as I watch and see those of you that have a passion and a heart for prayer. We now, I remember calling prayer meetings and having three, five, or 15 if we were lucky show up on a Monday night to see in prayer meetings with 80 and 90 and even over 100 people that shows up to prayer meeting. Let me talk to you about why a church is not dying and why a church is destined to glory. It is because God's hand is upon a church that is praying and fasting. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, then will I hear from heaven and then will I heal their land. You want to know what's going to bring an apostolic revival to this area, to this church, to this city and to your family and your life it is an apostolic church that is humbling themselves in prayer corporate prayer works the second area of prayer that they talked about was a dying church's prayer focus is in three basic areas. Physical, financial, and family needs. Prayer for the lost is only done in passing with no real passion. I hope I'm speaking to this church tonight. We must never, ever allow ourselves to get to the point where the function of our church is more important than lost souls. The next thing that they told us was that dying churches lack clarity as to why it exists. The Bible even says it makes it pretty clear where there is no, no, no vision. The people perish for Lack of vision, it says. 
we quote it wrongly but correctly in statement. Without a vision, the people perish. Dying churches lack clarity as to why it exists. There is no vision, no mission, no purpose. Finally, and interestingly enough, dying churches idolize another era. The memory of a dying church or church member is always on its heyday way back when. The conversation begins with, do you remember when? Dying churches see their future in returning to their past. Though the autopsy tells a bleak and discouraging story, we must learn from those examples. It is estimated that as many as 10,000, as 100,000 churches in America have reached the point of being considered by consultants as dying churches. And they anticipate that over 100,000 churches will close in the next 10 years years. This means two things for us. One, we must be ready to receive and to heal new people that walk in the doors when their doors close. Number two, we must realize the greater responsibility that is placed upon our shoulders in every area of the church. To do that which is right, to preach the truth, and to open our doors and remain steadfast in the faith. We must reach our world. I come tonight to tell you, Christian Life Church, while I am so very proud of you, why am I proud you can look on the platform and see what would make a pastor proud. You can go to the campus and look at the work that has happened in the last six weeks and see why a pastor is proud. You can look in our baptismal records for this year and you can see what makes a pastor proud. You can look at our records this year and see the number of people that have been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And you can see why that a pastor would be proud. You can sit in the pew and look on this platform and watch as this music team has grown and thrived. And on October the 10th, we'll be singing at a conference in Chicago with over 50 people in our travel choir. That makes a proud pastor. I look at a thriving children's ministry. A thriving youth ministry. A thriving family ministry. A thriving seniors ministry. I look at ministries on every aspect of the church that are growing with leaders that are passionate moving forward this next weekend. We will go into planning sessions and we will be planning the year of 2016. 
I am excited. I am proud. I am godly proud of what he is doing. We are not a perfect church. No, we're not. But we are not a dying church. And for that, I am thankful. When I look at the autopsy of a dead church, I'm not finding Christian Life Church in the autopsy of a dead church. What I am seeing is a church where faith runs high and commitments run deep. Where family prayer is practiced in many or most homes. Where young ministries are being developed and grow into unstoppable forces of apostolic revival. When I look at Christian Life Church, I see the waters of baptism being stirred continually calling on the name of the Lord just like they did in the book of Acts. Everything we do is saturated with powerful prayer. Bible is preached in this pulpit without fear or favor of retribution. The gifts of the Spirit are open to operate without criticism or reproach from most. Every person, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl works together in apostolic ministry and in harmony moving to a new location with a new building is only part of the plan but filling that building up is what we're really about reaching new souls and moving to phase two because I already see my faith the first building being filled Woo! My Lord, have mercy. I know how David felt when he said, I can run through a troop and leap over the wall. I'm about to jump over the pulpit tonight. I feel so much faith in the house. We're not dying. We're not dead, but we are growing and thriving. This is a place where people can come and find help, find healing, find salvation, find deliverance. This is what God designed in the Word, in the Scripture. For an apostolic church to be. I got to tell you some more. I can hardly contain myself tonight. What you're going to see in the next year. Are some brand new ministries that are springing up. You're not aware, but I am. But buses or vans are soon to be rolling. Picking up children. Bringing them in. The abused, the battered, the hurting's going to find hope right here. The addicted and the hopeless are going to find love and deliverance through ministries that are not even yet in operation. But I see them by faith. I see people who are alive with faith that are rising up saying, Pastor, we're going to reach our city. Pastor, we're going to reach our family. Pastor, we're going to reach the lost. We desire to be a church like the early church in the book of Acts where souls were added to the church daily. Mm. Signs, wonders, and the miraculous are the norm, not the out of the ordinary. 
Somebody said, well, if it happens all the time, we'll just get accustomed to it and it won't be spectacular. No, God always gives us more. Let it happen every service. It's too bad on us if we get used to a dynamic move of the Holy Ghost to where we're no longer moved. And there's some things that we desire as a church and some areas where we're asking God to help us grow and some things we're asking God to help us become. We want to be a church that operates under divine unction and anointing of the Holy Ghost in every service and in everything that we do. We want to be a, a church that, 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 that has open arms toward every nationality, every background, every creed and every color. No matter what they're hurting from, no matter what they've been through, and no matter what their economic status is. While some of us may be blessed beyond measure, I, I refuse to be a church that's known as that church over there that has their nose stuck up in the air because they think they're sophisticated and know something that none of the rest of us know. Get the best education you can, but love the lost world regardless of what kind of background that they have. We want to become a church where sinners can find hope and help and salvation. The fulfillment of our vision is the driving force that motivates us into action. Fulfills the calling of the great commission of God. But going out and compelling men to come. We want to be a church that is poised with purpose and passion for the lost. We want to be a church that is highly motivated. I don't ever want God to say, I'm waiting on you. But He usually is. Because He's more willing to give than we are to receive. I long to see us truly become a church that is growing in word and in deed, unified in one mind and one accord for one cause. We're a church that is built upon the solid rock of Christ Jesus. And he said in his word that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. We are not the church. We are part of the church. You don't have to come to church here to be saved. I'm going to be very clear about it, but there's nothing wrong with having a little church pride as long as it's godly pride and not puffed up pride about look who we are and look what we have or what we're doing. But we need to be a church that is powerful, that has a passion for lost men and women and children, where the altars are filled with hun hungry saints and seeking sinners alike. The church, ladies and gentlemen, the church is not an incidental part of God's plan. Jesus didn't invite people to get on a bandwagon of love and social acceptance and activities and baseball games, but he showed people how to live and told them, 
she told them to be sure that they are ready at his appearance when he returns. He called men and women to repent. He called them to faith and called them out of the world and called them into the church. In other words, we will never be a church that doesn't ask people to make a change according to the word of God. I do not I do not regret asking people to be obedient to the word of God. That's not too much to ask. And let me tell you something. God is willing to touch every life and we must not be ashamed to stand for what the word of God declares and says. We love people just like they are and we teach them to make the changes that God wants to make in their life. And when we do this, God will add them to the church. In the book of Acts, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Notice the Lord didn't add them to the church without saving them and he didn't save them without adding them to the church. That's why it's all right for you and I to fall in love with the church. First Corinthians says love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. In the church, there's going to be hurts, there's going to be afflictions, there's going to be disappointments, there's going to be moments of sadness and certain things that we may not like because we're just a bunch of people from different backgrounds that may not always get along and agree on everything. But for the sake of the unity of spirit, we're going to learn to agree and come together in the unity of faith until he comes and makes it all right in his day. I come tonight to tell you that if we truly love the church we'll bear with the church through her failings. We'll endure with the church through her struggles and we'll cherish the church because she is the beloved bride of Christ. That's me and you. The church is the hope of the world. It's not the world that's the hope of people. It is the church that is the hope of the world. Not because she gets it right all of the time but because she is the body of Christ and Christ is the head of the church. Don't ever give up on the church. Don't ever walk away from the church. If you've walked away from the church, walk back in tonight. If you've separated yourself from the church, get back plugged in tonight because I will declare to you today that the day will come when you're going to see you need the church. You must have the church. You cannot make it without the church. The church is absolutely Absolutely necessary in every person's life. This generation didn't build the church. God designed it. And then he declared that it would be built. We may be a part of it, but we don't own the church. The church is his bride. And we're engaged to him. And he said, I go away to prepare a place for you. He says, bride, I'm going away and I'm going to build a mansion for you. But I'm going to come again and I'm going to receive you unto myself, a bride that has made herself ready. I don't know about you, but I want to be ready when he returns to call the church home. I don't want to be somewhere wondering or somewhere waiting. I want to be right in the middle of the church because the church is the bride of Christ. That's me and you. He's returning for us. Of course there are things wrong with the church but on the other hand there's a multitude of things that are absolutely right about the church of God we all need the church 
The church is the most valuable asset in your life. You may not know it yet, but you will someday. That the church is the most valuable asset that you have. It's more valuable than your home, than your car, than your land, than your bank accounts. The church is the most absolutely the most valuable asset that you have because it is the only ticket that you have out of here. Because when you die, you're not going to take any of the things that you have accumulated in life with you. But there's only going to be one ride out of here. That is if you're the bride of Christ. And when the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord in the air. I come tonight to tell you that there's nothing else going to get you out of here. Your Harley's not going to get you out of here. Your Ferrari's not going to get you out of here. Your sports car's not going to get you out of here. Your multi-million dollar home's not going to get you out of here. It's the church. It's the church. It's the church. you got to be plugged into the church. Blood bought, born again, made ready. A church without spot or without wrinkle that is ready when the trumpet sounds. We will be called away. Oh, the church has a glorious future. We're moving forward into a new season for our church. It's an exciting season. We're building a church building and we're building a church of the living God with people we are sold out to apostolic revival I'm not looking for cool passive religion I'm trying to be careful because I'm just feeling so much of the Holy Ghost on me right now I can hardly contain myself As a pastor of the church, you know who I'm going to surround myself with? People who have the vision. And people who are making the vision happen. That's who I want to give myself to, and that's who I want to spend time with, and who I want to, because it is encouraging to me. And if I'm not spending time with people who are strengthening one another in the church, then I want to be spending my time reaching people that are hungry and want to be part of the church. That's where I want to spend my time. I don't want negativism. Somebody says, well, that's just life. Well, that's life. I don't want to be part of your life. If, you're, if, you're, if your life and your, your vocabulary is fueled by negative innuendos, I'm not going to be part of that. If every time I speak to you, I get a little innuendo of I know that negative spirit of yours that just jumped out and said, I don't want anything to do with it. If, if, if you think you're the only person in the church or if you think that you can hold up revival, you're absolutely wrong. Because this is God's church and He is building a church. We're privileged to be part of it. I'm privileged to be part of it. I know that much. I pinch myself once in a while and say, my goodness gracious, you mean I get to go to this church and be called the pastor and sit at the head of the table and look at these good people and my Lord have mercy. It makes me so proud sometimes that I, I, I don't even know what to do. I say, God, what did I do to deserve it? And of course I have those other days too. But... <laughs> We focus on them way too much, you know. 
People come and say, Pastor, I don't know how you can do what you've done. I heard you were at the hospital at 10 and another hospital at 11, and you were here, and then you were back up at the church for prayer at 5, and you were here, and you were there, and you were working here. Man, I don't know how you can do it. I wouldn't want your job. Boy, if you had my job, you would never say that again. This is the best possible job you could possibly have. You ought to be envious. Matter of fact, I'm going to post a picture tonight when I get home, and all of you that are connected with me on Facebook will need to share it so that everybody in the world can see it. There was a picture the other day that had a guy that looked like he was about 90, and he said, Pastoring's not all of that bad. I'm 42 and feeling great. Anybody see that? And that's a wink, wink. I'm going to tell you, there's stresses and there's pressures, but where we are as a church, I feel like that we are walking right where God wants us to walk. I believe we are doing what God wants us to do. And here is what God is getting ready to do in the church. There are people, and if you're a guest tonight, thank you for just tolerating me for a little while tonight. Because here we are bragging on the church and bragging on the church and bragging on the church. And and what we are doing, this is called edifying the church. It's part of the work of ministry. And the scripture tells us that there's a time that we are to reprove the church and rebuke the church. That means set them straight. And then there's times that we are to edify the church or build the church up. So tonight's one of those edifying times. But I am going to tell you, now, now Brother Broadstreet, don't go home and tell your pastor that, that I said this because he'll think that I was saying it to you, and I'm not saying it to you. You have a great pastor. We love him. But if you're a guest in this church tonight and you don't have a home church and you don't have another place to go to to call home, you know what? You ought to be part of this church. Woo! This church is filled with good people, loving people, quality people. On fire people, praying people, caring people, giving people, sacrificing people. You know what? If something goes wrong in life, you know who I want around me? The church. On a bad day, you know who I want to be around? The church. I'm going to tell you, the world is turning black and going the direction it's going. I don't know what the future holds, but I am not listening and I am not marching to the beat of the drum of this world, but I am right in the middle of the church. I believe in these last days, we're going to discover we need one another more than we've ever needed one another. I want to link up with you like I never have before. We're going to win our city, win our family, reach our world. We're going to do great exploits for the kingdom of God. Let me finish. Through the next several months, how long have I been preaching anyway? Like two hours? Feels like it, doesn't it? We're we're on a journey and we're embarking upon some things we've never embarked upon before. We're building a church. We're growing as a church. We're establishing new ministries. We're trying to find our way through some, some areas that's, that's difficult to even know how to get through. We're journeying, and we may not be real clear on every destination and every aspect, other than we know we're on our way to heaven. But when I look around me and I see the darkness of the world and I see how dark and how, how the, the darkness of the world, gross darkness over the earth, as the scripture says, it makes me thankful 
that I have some scripture to stand upon that tells me what's going to happen to the church. The Apostle Paul began to write in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, and he begins to describe some things that the church is going to experience. He says, I hasn't even seen, nor has ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. John chapter 14, he starts saying this in verse 2 and 3. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. My question for you tonight is, are you so in love with the world that you just want to stay here? Is life so good, the job so good, the family so good that you just want to stay here? I've shared with you before a time in our life when things seemed to be absolutely perfect and my wife and I were driving down the road and she looked at me and said, I wish we could just stop the clock. I wish we could just freeze time right here. Our boys were old enough to be fun and not old enough to talk back. Everything in life seemed to be going so good and only if we could stop time. The problem with that mentality though is that we can fall so in love with the world that we get our eyes off of the purpose for which everything that we're doing. We're here reaching the lost and winning souls and building a church and fellowshipping and God's doing great things. But we can fall so in love with all this that we forget that this is all about eternity. Someone had an incredible illustration with a long rope and on the end of that rope had a little bitty piece of rope about this long and they held it up and they said, this is eternity. And then held up that little piece of rope at the tail end and said, this is your life. If we understood that our life is just a vapor, it's here today and gone tomorrow. Everything that we're doing here is preparing for what we are going to do over there. And if you're not sure, if you're not absolutely sure that you're sure, you need to get sure tonight. If you don't know that you know that you're ready, you need to be ready tonight. If you haven't repented of your sins, you ought to repent of your sins tonight. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, you need, we've got water right here. It's warm. We have, we have clothing back in the back that we can put on your robes and we can baptize you in Jesus' name and your sins will be remitted and washed away. And there is a promise of a new life, a new birth, a baptism of the Holy Ghost as we call it that is a promise that is yours. It will empower you to move forward and it is your hope of heaven ladies and gentlemen you have no hope of heaven if you've not been born again but if you have been born again you have a hope of heaven so I invite everybody hey you know what I'm doing right now I'm kicking the church doors open come on in come on in we invite everybody come if you don't know him you need to come if you're not ready to make heaven you need to come you need to be part of what God is doing because he's coming to 
to take the church back home to be with him. John begins to write about it and he said there is a city that hath no need of the sun. Hey, I come tonight to tell you. He said it is a city that is built four square walls of jasper overlaid with 11 precious stones with 12 gates that are 12 pearls. The streets are transparent gold. Verse 23 said in the city hath no need of the sun neither the moon to shine in it for the glory of God did lighten it and the lamb is the light thereof. John goes on to say there will be no more tears no more pain there'll be no more sorrow there'll be no more weeping hey I come tonight to tell you sounds like the place I want to be this world is not my home I'm just passing through this world's filled with sorrow, pain, grief frustration but over there Jesus is going to be everything we need oh stand to your feet lift your hands toward heaven and begin to magnify the Lord with a loud voice tonight from the front of the room to the back of the room why don't you magnify him come on lift him up oh that's it let your praise out Oh, it's going to be worth it all. Somebody said, oh, all the sacrifice. There's so many do's and so many don'ts. And I'm not sure about the church. But I tell you, you're not going to care when you get over there. It's going to be worth every sacrifice you've made, every dollar you've given, every bit of time you've spent, every song, every sermon you've endured, every music practice you've been part of, every dinner you've, you've, you've worked in. Every, but I'm going to tell you what's going to really be joy. It's when we get there and we look around and we start seeing some people that we've had influence on that we're taking with them. And we get there and say, hey, it was your word of encouragement that saw me through. It was somebody that you witness to that's going to say it was because of you that I'm here today an old preacher preached a sermon and he titled it one thing better than heaven and one thing worse than hell and in the sermon that he preached with much passion and prayer The answer to both were the same. The only thing worse than hell and the only thing better than heaven is when you get there, you find that your family is there with you. The only thing that would be better than heaven is to get there. And I looked around and I saw everybody in this room there with me. And I saw my family that are not here there with me and my friends that are not here with me. And the only thing worse than hell would be to get there and discover that I led them here. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let's just talk to the Lord for a minute, would you? Just talk to Him for a little bit. He's already speaking. He's already, he's already tugging at your heart. I don't need to go any further. These altars are open. I know there's not a lot of room in the front, but there's just something about stepping out. It's when you step out and press your way forward, we'll come in real tight to make room for everybody that can 
possibly come. There's just something about stepping out that just says, I'm responding to what's been spoken to my spirit tonight. Whatever God's speaking, you need to respond to it tonight. He's speaking to you. There's room here for you. There's room here for you. Bring somebody with you. Just take your, take your friend by the hand. Lead them up here with you. Let's just come together. Let's just respond. Oh. Just you and the Lord for a few minutes. Why don't you just talk to him? Just talk to him. Just you and the Lord. up your voice in prayer across this building. Yes. Yes. This is beautiful. This is just beautiful. God is so powerful in this house right now. Whatever you need, whatever you need, it's here for you. Let's not rush through this part of the service. A few moments here. just respond to what God is really wanting to do right now. Maybe you feel like just walking over to somebody and taking them by the hand and praying with them or praying for them. Maybe you feel like just laying a hand on a brother or sister's shoulder, praying one for another right now. We need to just let the Lord, he's not done. He's wanting to minister to you tonight. Maybe somebody wants to just press through the crowd, come forward. We'll be glad to pray with you. I'll be glad to pray with you tonight got ministers here willing to pray with you.